Does the law really work the way TV and movies depict? Let's discuss with Christine and Christine. Hello, hello, everybody. I'm very excited for another episode of Law and Pop Culture, and I am so happy to be here. I'm Christine Mattis, and I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Christine Karen Sahagurski. So, so excited. This is a great podcast for if you're just listening for the first time. We talk about things that we've seen in the news, movies we've watched, entertainment, and anything that has to do with estate planning, guardianships, um, probate, uh, things like that. And we ask that question, does that really happen? Chris, good to see you. Oh, same here, Chris. Gosh, this was the movie that we're going to be talking about today, Chris. Gosh, it's been so long. I remember watching this movie as a kid and thinking to myself, wow, how crazy. But who knew that I would be talking about this 30 years later in a podcast? What, what year was this movie? 1996, I think. Right. I know. My goodness. I feel like that was a lifetime ago. <laughs> but anyhow and a lot of the movies that we talk about are a little bit you know sometimes they come up but they're they're a little bit older older meaning you know it's in the 90s and the 19 you know the 20th century as opposed to the 21st but it's so interesting how all of these ideas and all of these concepts are still what we talk about today and yep. just like what we're talking about right now we're talking about um, generally about nonprofits, right, Chris? So um, nonprofits and foundations. So we're talking about the movie, The First Wives Club with Diane Keaton, Goldie, Goldie Hawn and Bette Midler. And basically this is what happens. It's about four friends, Annie, Brenda, Elise, and Cynthia. Uh, Bette Midler is Brenda. She's, um, she's a single mother who helps set up her husband, Morty, on his feet financially before he left her for his younger employee, Shelly, and cheating Bette Midler, Brenda, out of a, you know, out of a settlement, you know, from, from the, you know, from the divorce. Um, well, were they divorced exactly? I forget. But anyhow, um, point is, um, next one is Goldie Hawn. She's Elise. She's an actress and is now an alcoholic. <laughs> and she's also a heavy smoker. And she's been relegated to B-movies because she's now old. <laughs> hate to say that. <laughs> I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that. Okay. <laughs> um, then you have Diane. So good, right? I know. There, I know. I saw her recently. I'm like, what? She was great. Goldie Hawn always looked good. Yeah, exactly. So um, Diane Keaton is Annie. Annie is, you know, a neurotic housewife. She's got like self-esteem problems and she's trying to salvage her marriage. And basically what happens here, um, well, their fourth friend, Cynthia, she learns through the tabloids that her ex-husband had remarried a much younger, more attractive woman, sends notes to her friend, Annie, Brenda, and Elise, and commits suicide. And of course, the girls are now together, like uh, Bette Midler, Goldie Hawn, and, uh, and, um, and Diane Keaton. Uh, they that get together a, uh, at the Cynthia, funeral. That was Stalker really Channing, right? right? That was Stalker Channing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. All these great women in this movie. I know that was that was so good. I mean, <laughs> so anyhow, um, so they get together for lunch, and you know, they kind of start talking about what's going on with their lives, right? Annie separated from the exec, you know, the housewife is separated from her husband. She's going for you know therapy. Elise, you know, Goldie Hawn, she's um, 
Uh, she's in the process of divorcing her husband. Um, let's see, trying to remember. Brenda was struggling financially after you know the divorce from Morty. Um, yep. And then after the funeral, they kind of, they, they start like really start talking about how to get back at them. <laughs> and I know exactly. Um, so after the funeral, um, you know, Aaron, uh, pretty much the husband of Annie, he's, he stunts her by asking her for a divorce, even though here she is trying, thinking that there's something wrong with her. He asks her for divorce so that he can be with, her therapist, oh my gosh, Elise then meets a film director who um, who envisions her as playing the mother of a main character in his, in his upcoming film. What a blow to her ego, right? And then Morty, I'm sorry, Brenda runs into Morty, her ex-husband with his nice, beautiful, younger girlfriend insulting Brenda. And of course, it's like we're watching these women go through like the lowest part of their lives, right? Where their self-esteem is completely shattered. Um, but as they get together, they decide, you know what, we're going to form a club <laughs> to obtain restitution from their husbands. So they find out that Brenda's ex, uh, Brenda's ex-husband is mafia connected, um, basically. Yeah. And, you know, they finds out that he had stolen goods. The books were fraudulent. Ooh, that was nice fodder right there. Uh, right. Annie's daughter, the one who was about to get divorced, she obtained a job, Annie's daughter got a job at her father's advertising agency to spy on her father and finds out that, um, you know, the soon-to-be ex, his partners wanted to shell, uh, sell their share of the agency. Um, so Annie works up a scheme whereby, you know, um, Elise um, liquidates all of her ex-husband's uh, valuable assets they acquired during the marriage, sells them for a dollar to Annie, and then goes into the scheme <laughs> so that... They use the proceeds to buy out Aaron's partners. It's like a nice little circle of things that are going out. But basically, they're doing these business moves so that they take over uh, their ex-husband's assets. And they end up pro um, putting together a nonprofit corporation to help abused women. And it was a whole bunch of different things going on. But it was so fascinating because it was just a bunch of smart women getting back at these these men who just, you know, made their lives so miserable. <laughs> and it was a fun, it was a fun movie. And then, you know, the, all the elements, the comedy, the drama, and they would touch upon the sentimentalism. And then they had a, then the whole dance sequence, singing sequence. <laughs> and the end. <laughs> loved it. Loved it. Yeah. That's the way and it all worked. You know, what right. was interesting about this movie is uh -huh. that they didn't plan for a sequel because the studio really thought that this was just a fluke. There was no way that this is going to do go any further. But it was the number one movie at the time. It beat Die Hard. If you remember, Bruce, it came out at the same time. And, and oh it just it actually did so well, but they still didn't do a sequel. So they need to do a sequel. Second Wives Club. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. I, I, that's so interesting, the tidbit, but it was, it was fun. But I, I love the idea of what they were doing. You know, it's create, it was creative, right? Absolutely. Very creative. But, you know, I mean, here's the thing too. I mean, for, for our purposes, we're talking about estate plan, right? So what could, could any of them have done um, 
to prevent a, a demand from the X to sell joint assets? Um, were there strategies that they could have put into place even before they got married? Prenups and all that stuff, Christine. But at the same time, you know, especially when you have businesses, when you have one spouse who earns more than another, you know, what, these are the kind of things that really come up in this when I was watching it. You reminded me so much of, you know, just the kind of planning that we do where we plan ahead. But at the same time, we have to look at where we are at this time. Do we have other obligations? And what can we do about, you know, spouses that have unequal assets? And we're not divorce attorneys, that's for sure. But from this point of view, what do you think that they could have done better? Yeah, you know, uh, there's other tools that they could have used, you know, mm-hmm. by way of trust. They could have earmarked certain things that were definitely going to go to them no matter what, you know, you could do that. You know, trusts are a great tool and you can do a lot of things with them. So in this situation, you know, if you could see there was some type of inequity going on, you're right. They could have done some type of prenup going on or a post-nup, you know, an agreement after they're married, they're realizing, oh, this is where it's going to go and that we know for sure, you know, this is what you're going to get if we break up. But the other thing is that also, you know, during the lifetime, maybe there were assets that they could have jointly held. Maybe there were, <laughs> were things like that that they could have already earmarked for each other. Or how about the kids, you know, because I don't know. Um, were the kids involved? Could they have done something uh, of a trust where at least maybe the kids can be benefiting? Because when you have blended families, so often some kid, whether it's from the present relationship or the prior relationship, sometimes without planning, they get cut out, you know, so I, I don't know, you know, I mean, there's a lot of good things that they could have been using, and it's hard to tell what they had or what they didn't have. Um, but yeah, very interesting. But I really think that, you know, exploring it with an attorney, if they had one, like usually when we have people that come in our office with the situation, we want to know what's going on and want to make sure that we know that, hey, listen, if something is going on, if you have a business together, what, what's, what's the plan? You know, are you still going to be working together? I've seen that. I think you've seen that, Chris, right? We'll have Absolutely. people work together, married have a business, and then they divorce, but they continue working together. I guess it could Mm -hmm. happen. God bless. I don't know. I have a hard time imagining that, that you're still side by side working together, even though you have divorce. No happy hour after work there. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what, Chris, also, you know, one question that kind of came up with this, and I know you, you know, the answer to this, I'm, I'm kind of new to this part, but tell me about nonprofits. What what's yeah. the, what do you need to set up a nonprofit? This is kind of what the ladies eventually did. You know, um, it had a it had a really nice purpose to it to help batter yeah. you know women um, and using the funds for that. That was always a fantastic idea. But what yeah, do you, need you know, mm-hmm. so a lot of times we may have an idea where we want to open up a, some type of a, like a business, but we may have more philanthropic goals. So a nonprofit is a type of entity that you can create where you have to have some type of benefit to the public. And that was one of the things that they'll do. Um, so creating a nonprofit is doable. It's like a corporation, But your purpose is now for a public uh, welfare, for the public good. Uh, You do have to get IRS um, approval because there is a code in the 
IRS that grants the nonprofit status. 501c3, that's the code in the IRS um, statute that you need to look at the code. And when you fulfill that, then you get a lot of benefits by being a nonprofit. One is the tax exemption. The other is that people who donate to your nonprofit, they get the tax exemption as well, but you have to have that credential. Uh, you know, and then there's lots of things that you can do to help, you know, the greater good. But you do have to make sure you know what your purpose is and that you stick to the purpose. And the IRS scrutinizes it, you know. So, uh, you know, if they got that 501c3 status in the first wives club, I guess in a way, you know, their status was to help women in these situations, to provide for them shelter and, and, and financial aid and things like that. And I, and I think that would pass, you know, there's a lot of, nonprofits around us that do that, you know, that really help promote help battered women or um, families in need, and they get that status. And, you know, there's a lot of fundraising involved that you'll have to do. Um, and you do have to keep uh, with the mission of that corporation to keep your status. It's very, there's a lot of rules involved that you have to stick to. Um, but, you know, it's very important to get it created the right way and to have a CPA who's um, very familiar of how to get that IRS approval. I, that's what we always recommend when clients come to us to um, request a nonprofit. Um, we've always said that you really need to get a good CPA involved to help with all those, the paperwork, you know, oh, I yeah. think that's just, um, and I think that brings us to our next topic that was in the news, Chris, which is really, really interesting. Uh -huh. uh, and here's the story of Paul Newman's foundation and the lawsuit his daughters filed. Um, and a lot of the sources that we had seen were um, online. The Wall Street Journal had a great write-up on it. Um, so as we know, Paul Newman is this iconic American actor, film director, race car driver, philanthropist, and entrepreneur nominated for Oscars. I mean, he's so well-known. And as part of his philanthropic activities, he created the Newman's Own Foundation. And that was in 2005. Didn't realize that. So it was three years before he passed away. So this um, foundation, it controls a food company called Newman's Own Inc. And it funds private foundations with its after-tax profits. So I just wanted to go over briefly so people know, you know, there are tools called charitable trusts. Uh, and then there's things called a private foundation. When you have something like a private foundation, um, that is something where there's a little bit of change of the terms uh, where you're saying that you're giving grants. Usually foundations, they don't do any of the charity work, but they will provide grants to other charities. So that's what Newman Newman's own was doing. If you're a charitable trust, then that's a different story. You're donating, you're finding causes that you like and you're having um, donated. And it's, there's a little bit more flexibility with that. But if it's a foundation, it's pretty rigorous about the rules and you're finding charities to um, to help. And you're they're called grants rather than uh, donations. So the lawsuit by the kids. The lawsuit that Mr. Newman's daughter and Miss Woodward um, were surprised when the will was read. They're saying the daughter saying when it was read the will, they were very surprised because it was different from what their father and his advisors had explained to them uh, over the years, including a, nine, a 2007 recorded video. I would love to see the video. I'm like, I'm thinking like yeah. a video. Ooh. That was pretty uh, 
pretty fancy. Uh, you know, I've only seen videos when perhaps there's going to be a challenge, when we're not sure about capacity, you know, things like that. Um, but we don't really do too many videos. I, I don't anyway, Chris. I don't know. Do you? Do you do, uh, not as much. Not as much. I don't, no, I'd love to see that video. Uh, but I thought what was interesting is when they're saying that they were surprised at what happened because of what they heard. So I kept thinking, were they never given a copy? Were they never, they never took a look at it themselves? Mm -hmm. So the daughters didn't challenge, they didn't challenge the validity of changes to the will, right? I don't know. So apparently there were changes to the will that were made before he died, but they said their lawsuit hasn't, isn't doing that. They're not challenging the validity of the will. Um, and it was earlier they had an issue because they're saying that there was a no contest clause, which you know we do put in our documents as well. But in his amended will, the actor had named Robert Forrester, who is an advisor and friend, and Brian Murphy, a longtime business manager as trustees of the living trust. So he had a revocable trust and he put them in charge of carrying out his wishes after he passed. Forrester and Mur Murphy didn't advise the daughters of their rights to appoint a co-trustee to the living trust, which would have given them a voice and how those wishes were carried out according to the lawsuit. So again, you know, dad passed in 2008 and I'm just so curious that they just hadn't seen any of that since then. I don't know. I have a hard time believing that, but okay. You know, so in 2008, Mr. Forrester succeeded Mr. Newman, uh, Paul Newman, as chief executive of the food company uh, and of Newman's own foundation. Four days after Paul Newman died, Forrester wrote to the daughters to notify them that the foundation would stop allocating funds to charities of their choice at any time. Forrester stepped down in 2019 as CEO amid an investigation by outside counsel for the foundation board's um, into employee allegations of misconduct, including harassment, according to the lawsuit. The foundation didn't make the findings of the probe available to the public or the family, so we don't know what happened to that. But in a, med a media statement at the time, the foundation said it promptly took action after an independent investigation into allegations brought forward by employees regarding their experiences working at the foundation. Mr. Forrester didn't comment at the time about his departure. However, Mr. Murphy remains a member of the foundation's board. So now in 2020, the foundation, they cut in half the amount that the daughters could direct to charities each year. So apparently, according to what they said, they were always given $400,000 each. And from that money, the daughters can choose who they want to help benefit. Well, in 2020, it was cut in half to 200,000. Uh, and so now they're saying that uh, this is um, not following the wishes of their father and that it's not being done correctly. The foundation is saying, well, you know, we are considered like a corporation and we have so many expenses and there are things that we have to manage. So there are things that have to be uh, modified. You know, without reading the trust, I don't know if they have the right to do that. I mean, it kind of makes sense. But, you know, they, they really have to follow the, the rules of that foundation to a T because, you know, the reason why people create these foundations are for many things. And one of them is to carry out the legacy and name of the person. So here would be Paul Newman. So he has a name to all these charities and now we're cutting it down. So I can see where the girls are miffed because they're just like, well, you know, we're supposed to carry my dad's legacy. And now my father's legacy is only going to be within this finite amount instead of these amount of people. So uh, charities, I should say. So 
they are not asking for any monetary compensation themselves, the kids, the two, the women are just asking to make sure that they're following the rules um, of what the private foundation has said. And I, at this point, they want a clean house. You know, they say that these, whoever's in charge is not making the right decisions. They shouldn't be in charge. They want a whole new clean slate, which makes sense to me. You know, um, they're saying that the foundation, Paul Newman gave instructions on the structure it's charitable giving, including amounts for his children to direct to charities. Um, you know, I don't know how much is in there, but it is, I I would feel like they should have that, you know, and with everything they're yeah. getting from, I buy that sauce. It's delicious. I'm telling you, I buy that Newman's own sauce and, and his salad dressing. You open my fridge, you will see Caesar's salad, Newman's own. I'm telling you right now. So, <laughs> so I, I think it's good. Uh, you wonder like, okay. What's happening with their funding, right? Philanthropic yeah. decisions by the foundation's board vary here. Uh, best practices. So surrounding philanthropic organizations, they do not allow for the establishment of perpetual funding allotment for anyone, including Nell and Susan Newman. This is what their, their defense is saying. And it was a meritless lawsuit based on this faulty wish that would divert money away from those who would benefit from Paul Newman's generosity. And I get that point of view too, saying that now you cause a lawsuit. So now we have to expend funds to defend the suit where those funds could have been allocated to, again, the charities. You can't mm-hmm. win. You can't win. No, no. no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And again, Andy Lee, the lawyer for Nell and Susan, are saying that this lawsuit does not seek personal compensation. Uh, for them, but simply seeks to hold Newman's own foundation accountable to the charities that they have shortchanged in recent years. So it offers a glimpse into the tensions between the foundation and the members of the Newman family. Um, You know, I thought it's just, it's very, very interesting. Um, You know, the children, this, the, so Paul Newman was previously married. So Susan Newman is the older daughter of his first relationship. And then Nell Newman is the daughter of his relationship with Joanne Woodward. So that's interesting that, you know, the two are together on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and they claim that the foundation changed the business structure. Um, that was an earlier version, uh, in, but that what their father envisioned. And under the revised structure, the food company no longer pays royalties to the foundation based on its annual sales. The food company now pays the foundation based on its annual profits, which are calculated after salaries, taxes, and other expenses are deducted. Um, So the suit was filed recently, August 2022. So as of yet, no resolution. So I think, you know, this opens our eyes to what's going on behind the scenes, sadly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're looking here, what could Paul Newman have done? I mean, here's a question have done to prevent his successors to change the type of causes the foundation donates money. You know, again, it's hard to tell without looking at it, because I feel that if it was a foundation, they typically would have all of that in there, you know, rigorous of this is where I want the money to go to and this, that. So, you know, um, again, a private foundation, it's different from a public charity, um, mm-hmm. you know, because they they give grants to other charities. Uh, again, they don't conduct their own charity work. Um, they are looking to other organizations and they will donate uh, and they will grant funds to them. Um, and again, you know, what I've seen here, um, difference again with a charitable trust. You know, a charitable trust is much easier to operate 
Um, but the that doesn't give the trustees much protections as a nonprofit. A nonprofit, again, like a business, can give you that curtain, that shield in case, God forbid, there's issues that are happening. They can't be personally sued, whereas trustees, there's a lot of liability. You're it. You're dealing with everything. So you need to really be on the up and up where um, you know, these nonprofits can, and I wouldn't say hide behind, but they do have a lot more protections um, against um, personal issues that could happen. Um, and, you know, I, I really feel the reason why people have private foundations is one big thing is the legacy. You want that name to go on for generation to generation. Um, and also, you know, uh, they get that tax exempt status, you know, uh, you can collect contributions, but the people who also, you know, provide funds get a tax exemption as well. So there's a lot of pluses monetarily, um, you know, but for the kids, again, um, I'm curious, and I say kids, these are women, um, wondering if, you know, how good of a suit they have. And again, without looking at the papers, um, I think they have something to argue about if they're not following the rules. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. That would really wake up. Right, Chris? Yeah. And there, yeah. And there are also these other allegations of, you know, for improper use of funds. You know, that's definitely something that's out, you know, that, that, it's not going to be following the purpose of this foundation. So, you know, you have to, somebody has to do an accounting of how these monies are, you know, um, these monies are expended. Uh, that was, if that wasn't the purpose of what the, the foundation is for here, they were talking about how Forrester's and his wife are flying, you know, first class at expensive hotels, not good business decisions that utilize the foundation's funds in a manner that wasn't intended to be used. So um, those are the kind of, you know, auditing things that have to be, you know, done. And sometimes, you know, having even just having the family members, like in this case, you know, oversee, I don't know, is there a way that family members can be, you know, almost like a trust protector? (laughs) That would have been something to add on to, I would think, you know, I mean, that would have been something good. You know, and mm-hmm. would confessing the will right after Paul Newman died would have helped the sisters cause. So apparently they didn't do anything at the time. They mm-hmm. waited. So that could work against them, you know, because if if, if things didn't change, right? If things sure. were like that and it's since then, I mean, the argument by the foundation is like, well, you knew what was happening. You saw this mm-hmm. was happening and you never said mm-hmm. anything. And now in 2022, we have a problem. That's interesting. Well, you know, certainly, and they, there might be records too of them saying something, but the fact that they, they didn't file a lawsuit, that doesn't necessarily mean they agreed to it, as Good long point. as they were kind of mentioned. So there might be some, you know, fact, some very sensitive fact issues that we're not privy to. Yep. I would be really, I'm going to be interested in seeing how this turned out. Turned yeah, out. we're going to tune yeah. in. But that wrapped it up for this episode, Chris. I mean, this was fun. That's an interesting episode. <laughs> no, it was great. I know it was a lot. It was a lot in there. So everyone, again, I hope you tune in to our next episode. We can't wait to be talking more about law and pop culture. But law and pop culture. You see my three my words. But this was fun and really excited to uh, do this again. Thank you so much, Chris. Bye, everybody. Thank you, Chris. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. For more, go to mattislaw.com.